We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we are talking about our first playoff win of the season, Game 1 against the Celtics. The Nets come up victorious, 104-93. Jack, it feels good. How are you feeling? One down, 15 to go. Yes, that's exactly. First of a long journey for the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, a slow start in this one, and then they started to pick it up. We're going to jump into that and plenty more. But as always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do you want to start? Nick, should we just go back to the beginning and, and, and work back chronologically? Because yep. Kevin Durant provided some pretty good insight in, in the postgame on ESPN talking about the fact that the Nets were a little hot. And by hot, it was just that energy was flowing. The crowd was pumping. The big three were trying to all show off a little bit and sort of just force things somewhat. Yep. The defense wasn't bad, but the offense was just uh, a bit nonsensical in, in a lot of ways. There was a lot of forcing of shots. Kevin Durant was missing shots he would normally make. You know, there was no fluid fluidity to it at all. What did you think of that first quarter slash first half? Yeah, like you said, Jack, really no flow to the offense, a lot of isolation basketball, Nets not necessarily playing off each other, forcing some shots in situations where they really didn't need to. And it was just like, okay, you know, we have some bad defenders on Boston on the floor. Let's take advantage of that. And that's what we saw in the second half. In the first half, they were kind of making life a little bit too easy for Boston on a defensive end. And offensively for the Celtics and defensively for the Nets, like you said, I thought the Nets did a solid job in that first quarter. You know, second quarter, there was a couple issues. Some of it was, you know, Boston having guys that were just really hot from three. You know, they shot close to 50% in that first half from deep, and they shot pretty well from the field. Um, and then, you know, as we saw in the second half, Nets kind of tightened up the defense. And the Celtics kind of just got more to their statistical mean. Yeah, they just missed shots. Uh, yep. A lot of it was was that. And, you know, the Nets' defense wasn't bad. It was just, I think it was more just the Nets' offense. They weren't making shots. It was just yep. plain and simple. There was a you know a couple of threes here that they should have made. And, you know, they should have just kept on driving, like you sort of alluded to, Nick. Because, you know, when you're getting M40A on you, when, you know, Tristan Thompson uh, just attacked the mismatch, attacked Kemba Walker, attacked all of those things. And, you know, the Nets... It didn't necessarily do that in the third. They were just starting to hit the shots that yep. you know Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving just making their sleep. And you know Kyrie Irving, I think you know credit to him. I think he was doing it all night. And his efficiency and his numbers show that absolutely incredible game from the hometown kid. Twenty nine points, eleven to twenty from the field, two of eight from three, five of five from the line, six boards as well, including three offensive boards. Did have a dime, did have a block as well, plus 16 on the night. Um, Kai was incredible. And, you know, the big three, you know, all had their moments throughout. But I think Kai was probably just a pick of the bunch over Kevin Durant. But KD's defense, I thought, was pretty solid as well. He had a bigger burden there. 
Yeah, I think Kyrie was more consistent throughout offensively, like you mentioned, Jack. And it almost felt like they could have gave him more touches in that first quarter, in that first half, just because he was getting some of the lighter defensive matchups. And we've seen him kind of cook, especially when that mid-range jumper's on. You know, he's really, really good. And he missed his first couple threes in that second half. He knocks them down. And I thought Kyrie had some good hustle plays mixed in, too. We had that offensive rebound tip in. You know, a couple nice rotations defensively. Obviously had the block in there as well. Um you know, I, I like the game from Kyrie. If this is the type of performance they're going to get from Kyrie on a consistent basis throughout the postseason, they're going to be in really, really good shape. Yeah, really, really, really good shape. You know, and I think that Kyrie Irving all season, this is the reason, you know, 50-40-90, he's going to be All-NBA. Or if he's not, then it's a goddamn travesty. You know, the Nets MVP. You know, and tonight he proved that. You know, it was just a, a flow-on effect from the, the incredible regular season that he did have. One of his best ever, if not his best ever. And he just showed his importance. Like, that move on, on Evan Fournier in the first or the second where he was like... He had him, he had him, like, knees. He had him like Tommy Pickles in a goddamn playpen. <laughs> like, it was just like, dude, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. Like, he, he's got to get, like, some charges on him. Like, the Boston police are probably be knocking on his door tonight for that move because that was just filthy. And then, you know, Kemba Walker's got... He's literally stole ankles. I don't know if, if Evan Fournier, he's going to have to get some sort of like reconstructive surgery for that shit. But, and at the same time, Ken Walker's like ripping his jersey off trying to defend Kyrie as well. It's yep. just like, man. And then he complained about the foul call when he clearly like had a handful <laughs> of his jersey. Yeah, shout out to um, Shani, oh, no, uh, Chicken the Greek, uh, at Chicken the Greek. She's got the photo of it. And it's like, it's plain and simple. Like the jersey is being pulled. And it's just like, Kevin, my dude, like I know you're trying, you think that's somewhat... You know, you should have different rules to guard Kyrie Irving. You know, just insert Drake, you know, going crazy mean. That's basically what it is. The, net, the Nets, um, when Kyrie Irving had the ball in his hands. Jack, do you think the Nets should look to get Kyrie involved a little bit more earlier in the game, in game two? Nick, I'll ask you this, because you, you brought it to me, and I, I think that your thoughts were probably pretty poignant. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I think so. I wasn't really prepared for that reversal right no, there. Back, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, just, you know, the big three, everyone wants their shot. Sometimes they're a big two here. You know, I'll give you yeah. the ball as well, man. You know, just pass yeah. it back. Pass it back. Yeah, I think so. I think especially if he gets the weaker matchups, you know, if he has Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier, both guys, he's kind of cooked. You know, it feels like Marcus Bart spent a majority of his time on Kevin Durant, James Harden. And even honestly, uh, we talked about a little bit on the preview. Corey and I talked a little bit on the outlet preview. Kyrie's kind of went to work on Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart is a little bit slow in terms of some of the recovery speed. And Kyrie does a nice job kind of drawing fouls on Manuel. So, I really would like to see Kyrie kind of get involved, especially when the Celtics aren't necessarily giving him the same amount of attention as they're giving Kevin Durant and James Harden. Let him go to work, especially if he's getting that really pure single coverage. Yeah, and you know, his moves off the glass. As soon as he hits that glass, I'm just like, yeah, this is going in. Like, he just has such a... Man, that dude must be the like... best glass player in the NBA, probably. Yeah, no, I don't dispute that in any way whatsoever. Like, his marks on geometry, the SATs or whatever the <laughs> hell you guys do over there, he must have got full marks, 1,500 or whatever the hell the, the goddamn number is. Just but, not yeah. the science section, but... <laughs> yeah, look, hey, 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 I will not uh, tolerate any Kyrie slander. I mean, based off of that photo you posted, I'm not sure if physics apply. Oh, like... like, the how does one person's body contort to that and maintain a center of gravity and strength and balance. Like, I, I tweeted out, it's from Nathaniel Butler, who's one of the best uh, sports photographers yep. going around, let alone NBA photographers. That was just like, it makes no sense. It's like like you put out, Nick, the, the fake like Michael Jackson lean video. Like it's, and it's literally that in real life, but this one's actually real. At full speed in an NBA game. <laughs> it's things that aren't really supposed to make sense. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, if he's going to get Evan Fournier on him or Kemba Walker or some of these other guys, even like an Aaron Naismith, or he's going to get a switch, and I expect the Nets to have a little bit more player and ball movement in game two, I think it could lead to some really, really easy opportunities for Kyrie. Yeah, I think you, just to piggyback off the point you just made there, Kyrie's the most nonsensical player that we've probably ever seen. He just doesn't make sense. Like, you, yeah. what are you doing out there? Like, how do you do these things? Like, how does one even contort and craft these moves, like, in practice? Like, how, like with no defender, let alone yeah. with NBA-level defense on him, the creativity and just basketball mind that Kyrie Irving has, as well as the execution and just the, the mechanics, it, it, it makes literally no sense. And I... And, and it, it also brings me uh, an innate amount of joy. Uh, he's just uh, absolutely incredible. And ever since he's become a Brooklyn Net, he's provided me with uh, a lot of goddamn happiness. Yeah, and a lot of goddamn highlights. <laughs> true that, true that, true that. 
Uh, Jack, who do we talk about next? Well, let's get into KD, Nick, because I think yeah. that third quarter from him was a big reason why the Nets got the ascendancy. They did outscore the, the Celtics 31-20. to 20, uh, And I think Kevin Durant had 13, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, I believe so in that third quarter. Um, and, you know, obviously Kevin Durant got off to a really slow start in this game. And he was just missing shots that we typically see him make, you know, you know, those mid-range jumpers, some of those little floaters, uh, three-point shots he usually pulls up on. He's at least going to hit two or three of them, only one of eight from three tonight. So Kevin Durant, not the best version of himself in the first half, but in that second half, definitely turned it up on both ends of the floor and was the superstar the Nets needed. Uh, you know, a highlight that, look, not to go into the defense because, you know, we, we all love the offense. We love how incredible these guys are offensively. But that block on Tristan Thompson is mm. going to go underrated and go to the wayside because Tristan Thompson had literally the best position you can get. Like, no one blocks <laughs> that shit because you're right under the rim and you're just going to put your arm out a little bit, get it away from the defender and get that little baby hook shot in. But Katie's like, nah, I'm going to snatch that shit, get that shit out of here. That was incredible. Yeah, it really was. I'll give credit to Kevin Durant on one thing I've noticed he does really well, especially to veteran players. He has a great idea of where their shot's going to come from, which shoulder they typically go to. And like you said, when you're in a position like that, it's it's incredibly hard to get the block without fouling. Obviously, Kevin Durant, I think, got that with his fingertips. And also, obviously, when you are you have the length and the size of KD, you're going to get some of those plays. But like you said, you know, I thought his defense on Jason Tatum, that steal and slam, I thought that was a really big play in that fourth quarter. And that kind of just gives you a little bit of a burst. And also, Jason Tatum played pretty poorly in terms of his shooting. Obviously, it wasn't all Kevin Durant, but 6 of 20 from Tatum, 1 of 4 from 3, obviously 9 of 11 from the free throw line a lot of credit to Kevin Durant and the defense he played in Tatum and kind of making him uncomfortable but again it was by committee and which we kind of talked about on the preview yeah I think Jeff Green I think did a really really good job in the moments that he was out there against Tatum as well you know we saw all the sort of guys when they were switched on to him yep. you know Kyrie Irving made life tough for him when you know the, they got the switches so I think it's uh, a really good defensive team performance uh, overall you know there were lapses every now and then yep. you know James Harden occasionally like forgetting Evan Fournier was even playing basketball <laughs> once or twice but look you know it's going to happen because of the, the, the mental engagement for 48 minutes you can get away with it, I guess, in the first round, I guess, a, a depleted Boston Celtics team. But, you know, you make those mistakes uh, as the rounds get a little bit deeper. You know, they're going to be more pronounced. So, But overall, you know, I think that I, I wonder if on Monday we're going to actually hear, you know, the, uh, the the narrative about the Brooklyn Nets defense get brought up again. Because the way they played tonight, Nick, everyone's going to be talking about how bad they, they were offensively. And it's just like, yeah, but we know how good they are offensively. And this was just a shit night. And if you look at the second half stats... You know, 57 points in the second half. You know, that, that's pretty goddamn good. And, you know, yep. Kevin Durant was like, what, 2 of 9 or something? And he finishes 10 of 25. And Kyrie Irving 11 of 20. You know, and they just got better. You know, it, yep. it's just, I, I think that the, the Nets just did what they had to do. And, you know, despite the fact that, you know, the net, the Celtics were hot early, I thought that they did a, a better job of just being able to go, you know what? Okay, let's just chill a little bit here. We know yep. what we need to do here. I felt... You're relatively confident and chill throughout because despite the fact that the Celtics were leading, were leading, were leading, that was hot shooting. And that's something that's unsustainable. What is sustainable is the brand of is, is talent, unfortunately. Um, and, and look, unfortunately for the Boston Celtics side of things, very fortunately for the Nets and Nets fan side of things, guys hit shots. Kevin Durant's going to hit the shots that he, he missed in the, in the first half and he did in the second half. Kyrie Irving's always going to do incredible things on the court. James Harden's going to get more into more of a flow. And I think that the second unit uh, gave us a little bit you know, of momentum in the sort of second quarter and the start of the third quarter as well uh, under James Harden. I thought that their flow offensively was a little bit better. And we did see better moments uh, in the second half when Blake was out of, of the five and we saw Jeff uh, or Clax there too. Yeah, I think you saw more steadiness from the second unit at points, and Katie kind of mentioned it on uh, the post-game uh, interview. You know, the whole team was a little flustered. There was a lot of energy between the players just playing their first playoff game together to having, you know, 14,000-plus in the arena. You know what I mean? I think there was just that extra level of pressure, and that kind of hit the team a little bit hard, and they took some quick shots. But as the game kind of calmed down, they had their halftime, you know, intermission, and they kind of talked things out. I felt like they kind of got everything going. And like you said, you know, Blake Griffin had some nice moments early in that third quarter as well. Defensively, he was a little bit better than what we saw in that first half. But just getting back to Kevin Durant, 
uh, you know, like you mentioned, 10 of 25. And to be honest, you know, a lot of the shots he missed, Kevin Durant missed those shots. It wasn't based off of the defense, you know, and obviously he's not going to shoot perfect in every game, but I think we could anticipate him shooting a higher percentage the rest of the series on majority of these shots. There's no reason that he can't shoot 50% or better. And obviously you expect the three-point shooting to improve. He shot around 40% this season. Definitely. And look, Kevin Durant said to Matt Brooks and, and Nets Media after the game, we definitely want to have more movement and make more shots. Yeah. Look, it, <laughs> it's it's simple, but sometimes you need to put out the simple things into the ether so then you can just process them and go, okay, we put it out there, now we've got to do it. Now we've put it on ourselves to, to execute at, at a higher level. And just ultimately, look, the you know, it doesn't matter how you win in the playoffs. It, yeah. It's as long as you get those wins, you bank them in, you get the four in the first series, you get the four in the second series, you get the four in the ace finals, and then hopefully you get the four uh, when it really does start to matter. So look, you bank these wins uh, and you, you try to get some form. You Look, defensively, I think that that's... Uh, I'm going to keep harping on it, Nick, because it's something that I think that... And obviously, you know, the, the Celtics' offensive talent isn't necessarily great out there, but you've got Jason Tatum, who is incredible, and then playing incredible basketball of like, what, 350-point games since April or something like that? Yep. And to limit him to, to what... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He did tonight. You know, we didn't necessarily think that was going to be the case. You know, when we were previewing it, it was just like, who are going to be the big matchups on Jason Tatum? We said KD uh, and Jeff Green and a little bit of clacks here and there. Uh, and, and both of those guys and, and clacks occasionally. He did give away uh, some ticky-tacky fouls. On him when a he hair foul. A uh, hair foul, yeah. <laughs> um, which is a foul, ultimately. You know, you can't necessarily you know, check a person's hair out um, when they're taking a shot. But yeah, I thought that defensively, you know, th- this is going to bode well. You know, the principles, the execution... You know, when the, the talent does start to increase and, and the depth of talent does start to increase uh, as, the lands, uh, as the rounds get a little bit further when it's Miami uh, or uh, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks and then, you know, maybe the, the Sixers too. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Yeah, definitely. And I think, obviously, it's a building block because there's still room for improvement in different areas. You mentioned some of the communication mistakes and, obviously, teams looking to kind of attack Blake Griffin. But when they had lineups out there with, you know, I think we saw for a few minutes Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Jeff Green, and Nick Claxton, that's when the Nets can actually play good defense. They have some good tools out there to really make things difficult and they can start switching on things. And I think those guys have a nice chemistry and flow. You know, I I was intrigued by Claxton only playing 11 minutes. I thought he'd see more. I feel like there was maybe two or three possessions where he made mistakes. And I'm not sure if Steve Nash kind of had the short leash or he just wanted to roll with Jeff Green a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, we saw a, a greater portion of his minutes in the second half, you know, where, you know, he had two early fouls and, we, we saw some people sort of going out there, oh, well, this is what happens. <laughs> CC Nate Duncan, when you have to rely on a, a rookie, you know, semi-rookie uh, big man. But Clax was still really good. And uh, and I think he was really good out there with James Harden as well offensively. You know, top scorer off the bench. Um, you know, obviously you want to get more out of your bench going forward. And, you know, some of these is, is just a matchup sort of thing. You know, Landry Shamit was didn't really get the shots off that he probably wanted. And, and Bruce, probably, you know, the spacing and, and some of the things that he did. But, you know, I thought that his boards were good. And, you know, you look at just the hustle from the, the second year. That's what we need from them 
them tonight. You know, we need the, the SARS to make the shots and we need the hustle from the second unit. And, and that's what we got. And, you know, I thought Clax could have been given, you know, 20, 25, um, maybe tonight. But, you know, Blake only had 20. And I think that the lineups looked better with KD and Jeff uh, in the front court. Yeah, I think it gave him that pure spacing. That's where you really saw like Kyrie get to work. Kevin Durant have some more opportunities to kind of work. But getting back to Clax, three offensive rebounds in 11 minutes, you'll definitely take that. And you mentioned with the chemistry with James Harden providing that's a roll option, a slip option, which is going to be something big when they have the floor space the way they do. And Boston kind of applying pressure to James Harden at times. That gives Claxton an opportunity to roll to the rim or slip to the rim against a smaller defender. And he's he's done a solid job of attacking that a lot this season. Yeah, he's a much better slipper than roller, if that yep. makes any sense. Like you know, because he doesn't really love to set screens, to be honest. No, he doesn't. Look, look, he's he's, he's slight. Not a big guy. <laughs> look, then look. My mom summed it up perfect, perfectly. So shout out to, to Debbie Manuel. You know, she's like, I, I like that 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 blonde kid. You know, the the young yes, dreadlock the one. The young dreadlock <laughs> one. Yeah. So shout out to to to, to mom for that um, awesome summation of the, the of Clack City. You but, know, what's funny is my mom had said something about Nick Claxton as well. She's like, wow, that guy plays really really hard, and like and. In comparison to a lot of the other players at one time we were watching the game and she's like wow i wish james harden played at the same level that nick claxton does and i was like mom he plays in a different way but it's hard to explain that to someone who doesn't watch every game no not at all but look it, it, and that i think that says something you know that yeah. nicholas claxton no matter what he does you see requisite energy out there from him and you know the, I, I love the the back and forth with, with him and Robert Williams. Robert Williams was incredible tonight. You know, yep. he's, he's he was blocking everything like it was goddamn Bill Russell in 1965 or whenever it was that Bill Russell was winning 11, 15 chips or whatever it was that he did. But yeah, Nick, Nicholas Claxton I thought did a good job as well, and you know got punched three times in the face it looked like from him, and probably should have yeah. got a foul on that. But you know, shout out that was that's going to be a fun matchup going forward if, if both of these teams are able to to keep their young centers intact because uh, these two guys have a a tremendous ceiling. It's interesting because I thought Robert Williams' best defensive possession wasn't necessarily the blocks. It was the one on James Harden where James yeah. normally just gets by dudes because he's just so strong and he just knows how to get by anyone. But Robert Williams was just like sturdy as hell. And it's just like yeah. he didn't move at all. And it's just like, oh, he's got this in his bag. I, I knew that he had the hops. I knew, you know, the Time Lord shit and, you know, he can block everything. The Celtics Lab guys uh, love him too. But... Yeah, shout out to him because the Nets, I think, are going to have to be a little bit better and watch out for him because his presence, and it'll be interesting to see how he pulls up as well, you know, with a little bit of the turf temperature. You could see him at times getting a little bit proppy because, like, yeah. he had blocks where he got block after and then he had, like, a, a block while he was still in the air. Um, he's an incredible player, and, and shout out to him. He was probably one of the most impactful uh, Boston Celtics out there tonight. Yeah, he really was. I think he's one of the only Celtics that finished in the positive and the plus minus. Obviously, take that for what it is, but it'll be interesting to see how the Nets look to attack him you know, further in the series. Like you said, James Harden couldn't get past him. I think James looked a little fatigued and maybe not fully conditioned this one. We could talk about that when we get to him. But I think one thing that stuck out to me with Robert Williams was he was jumping for blocks a lot of the time before the player left the floor. So that's simply a thing where you can kind of get him to bite on the pump fake. Even on the Claxton play where he ended up getting two blocks, like a veteran right there just leans into Robert Williams and probably gets the call. And I think that's something the Nets are going to have to do if Robert Williams is having this type of impact get him in foul trouble. And that's been an issue for him in the past. He's not in a super experienced player and he's very aggressive in terms of trying to make those impact plays. Yeah, he and he blocked some jumpers tonight as well. Like he yeah. was he was blocking everything. Like he had... I mean, he even had a contest on Kevin Durant which yeah. impacted the shot and I mean Giannis didn't even do that. I think Giannis did do that. He, he blocked one, but I'm saying in terms of the three-point shots, like yeah, Kevin yeah. Durant was shooting over Giannis, not with ease, but consistently, where Robert Williams essentially made KD airball a three, and that's that's a rare sight. Do you think this is an aberration from Robert Williams, Nick? Do you think we get this, you know, for four or five games out of him? Obviously, this level is insane, but maybe like, you know, two or three blocks and, you know, really, really solid defense that allows the Celtics to, to make things difficult for, for some of the net stars. Yeah, I think it's an adjustment the Nets need to make. I'm not necessarily sure they anticipated Robert Williams having this type of impact. Obviously, he's played better towards a, the second half of the season, but still any player coming and getting nine blocks, even if Rudy Gobert did that, I think he'd be pretty amazed to an extent. So I think they need to game plan for what he can do. But I will say offensively, he provides them another option as somebody as a vertical spacer. And you could see how that could become a problem, especially in the switching scheme at different points. Nets were forced to foul him. So I think Robert Williams could definitely play a role in the series in terms of helping the Celtics and the Nets have to be prepared for that. Yeah, I think one thing offensively is that the Celtics don't have a 
great deal of lob passes, you know, yeah. in terms of like they don't have a James Harden, they don't have LeBron James, they don't have these sort of dudes who can just throw the the alleys quite easily. You know, Kevin could do it a little bit, Marcus Mark could do it a little bit. When he's but... not throwing the ball into the fourth row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, you know, uh, Kemba Slander can probably happen for days and days after tonight's performance. But yeah, look, we, we know that um, we have the, the much better guys starting with K on our team. In fact, two of them. Um, but in, in saying that, I, I think they're just showing a, a greater level of physicality with Robert Williams. Yep. Probably... You know, making him a bit more uncomfortable. You know, if, if it means you know getting a flagrant on him, if it means you know getting a you know an offensive foul on him, make him earn it. Like, make, like make him question going up for your shot again. And you know, James Harden, I'm sure, will probably do that in, in the coming games. And you know, KD and, and all and Bruce and, and these sort of guys because look, um, he was he was massive. He was really 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 impactful. And the Nets are going to have to somehow you know adjust to his presence going forward. But ultimately. You know, it didn't necessarily have the impact, the total impact that they needed it to have because, you know, you want to be playing him, you know, 30, 35 plus minutes because Tristan Thompson was okay enough. But, you know, you can tell that Robert Williams was by far the dude that you want to have out there for, you know, 30, 35 minutes. Uh, and, and again, you know, he only had the 23. Yeah, and obviously he can be an impact player, and you mentioned the turf toe, and that maybe could be holding him back a bit. I think if I'm the Nets too, I'm probably looking to get him involved in more off-ball actions you know, against the Joe Harris coming off screens and just forcing him to move a lot because that toe being an issue for him, the more you can make him move, you know, the harder it is going to, it's going to be for him to play, you know, 30 plus minutes. And that's probably what the Celtics really need because they need to get impact out of every single spot because there's at such a talent deficit. Yeah. I think that that's something that the Nets can do better overall, even not necessarily in relation to Robert Williams, it's just better movement. You know, yep. they, were, they looked good when they got out in transition, you know, a lot of yep. the times, you know, and I think a lot of that where they didn't, weren't given the opportunities was because, you know, the Celtics made a lot of shots. Yep. Um, they, they, they necessarily, and, and, and I think that that's just something that the Nets can just be a bit more purposeful, a bit more proactive with, you know, move a little yep. bit more rather than sort of just, you know, settling for, for isolation possessions, drilling it for a little bit, then just kicking it to KD. Let him create his own ISO possession as well. Um, whether the ISOs will always be there. The ISOs will always be there. Yeah, that, that's something that you know you can easily get. You know, they start off the the, the game with, a, with with sets. If most, if not all games, you know, do that for a, a lot of the first quarter. Try and get Blake, you know, Joe or or, or or Jeff or whoever it is that's one of the the role players out there. Let them get cooking a little bit earlier. And, and we know Kenny Atkinson did that in seasons past, and it's happened quite a bit as well with Joe Harris still under the Steve Nash tenure as well. Get some looks for him early because I think that that's something that can sort of deflate a team too. And, and I, while Joe wasn't necessarily amazing tonight, and that offensive foul, Marcus Smart's always going to be there. And credit to him, you know, it's Carl Kyle, Kyle Lowry like in, in a lot of respects, or Blake Griffin like in a lot of respects <laughs> too. Um, but but I still think that you know his presence is, is pretty important, and you know whether he continues to start or, or come off the bench or whatever, I think that you know he's still going to be a, a, a plus in this series. Yeah, I didn't think Joe was bad in this game. I didn't think he was amazing either. I thought he held his own defensively. A lot of possessions really didn't get cooked. Um, you know, the only thing that really stuck out was he had issues boxing out Tristan Thompson, which probably anybody his size is going to have that issue. I love the fact that he both of his threes, I believe, were contested. So that's something to kind of take as a plus because they're the type of threes that he's probably going to get. And if he's hitting contested threes that's when you're really, really starting to feel good. And I thought Joe had a couple, you know, in between shots too. You'd like to see him shoot a little bit better percentage, but, you know, this is the first postseason game for everybody. He's obviously coming off a minor injury and the team didn't necessarily have full rhythm. And I feel like he's a guy that benefits from the full rhythm, you know, the ball movement, the player movement, the ball fizzing around and all of a sudden Joe Harris gets a couple open threes. Yeah, I thought some of the shots were in and out. They, they weren't yeah. bad shots. They weren't short or anything. Like Kevin Durant's short shots were, were were short. You know, he he hit an air ball as well, which was a very un KD. Like whereas Joe's shots were all shots you want him to take, and and some of them you know were a bit more aggressive in that too. So you know, and he was the Nets' best three point shooter as well, two of six. You know, KD went one of eight, Kyrie went two of eight, as did James Harden, um, and and Jeff Green also went one of three. So you know, percentage. Joe at plus twenty two tonight. Exactly. So, and you know, double digits. You know, had some boards, was strong. Um, I, I think he's he's earned his keep. I think he's gonna he's gonna be better for the run. And you know, I, again, he hit the Nets first three, and I think that you know, seeing that ball go go down and it was it was lovely. You know, he has such a, a wonderful shooting motion, and seeing that ball splash was was wet for everyone involved. Um, but yeah, a, a nice little night for Joe Harris. 
Yeah, and obviously, like I just alluded to, like he's a guy that doesn't benefit from the ISO possessions. A little bit harder to find him when they know that, hey, that's the one guy we really don't want shooting catch-and-shoot threes, especially when it feels like James Harden doesn't want to shoot catch-and-shoot threes. Uh, he did a couple of times towards in the second half, but it's been, in the first half when he had them, you know, he just seemed to be attacking a little bit more, which is fine. But I think the Nets can do that a little bit better. You know, James Harden, attack and kick, attack and tick, attack and kick, yep. you know, a lot more. KD can do that quite well also. And um, you know, Kyrie Irving can do it pretty well, not necessarily yep. to the same extent as both of those guys. But I think that's one way to just bend the defense a little bit better. You know, just make them tired too. Make them, make them more tired, make them move a little bit. But I'm sure we will see that. You know, we heard Kevin Durant and and plenty of others sort of have that a level of self-awareness from them. So they, I think they'll be, they'll be better from the run. They'll learn from this. They'll watch the tape and they'll come out in game two and, and do all the right things that you would like to think. Yeah, and talking about James Harden, 21 points, nine rebounds, eight assists, four steals, one block, three turnovers, five of 13 from the field, two of eight from three, nine of 10 from the free throw line. Didn't necessarily feel like a great James Harden game, but then you look at the stat line, you're like, oh, that's, that's pretty good work right there, James. It's not bad at all. You know, a rebound and two assists away from a triple-double. I, I still think that, you know, he's fine. He's legs somewhat. Yep. You know, he but, didn't have the burst. Like, there was a couple plays where I felt like he typically just sneakily gets to the rim and gets it off the glass where he wasn't doing that. Yeah, he was using more of his strength tonight, it seemed. Yep. And, and he's an incredibly strong player. And, you know, I, I liked his defensive game. You know, when he was caught out in the perimeter at, at times and, you know, he was sort of sneaking in, creating doubles, you know, getting in the passing lanes, which is why he got those four steals. You know, his hands were everywhere. Um, and, you know, I think that you know, he wasn't, other than a couple of possessions here or there, wasn't necessarily a net negative. You know, when you put together four steals in a block, you know, that's pretty goddamn insane. And again, nine or ten from the free throw line. I, I think that when you get 27 free throws from your, from your superstars, that's something where if the shooting isn't happening, you go, okay. Are they going to be able to impact the game offensively in other ways? And they did. And they're all incredible free throw shooters. 11 and 12 from KD, 5 and 5 from Kai, and 9 and 10 from James Harden. It's easy offense. And that's something that a lot of other offensive players in the league don't necessarily have the awareness or, or have the purpose to do so. When the shot isn't falling, get some easy buckets. And James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving can all do that. Yeah, and I felt like a lot of James Harden's free throws came in that second quarter when the Nets needed it. Their offense wasn't necessarily still cooking, and it was like, all right, we need to kind of slow this game down, calm things down, and that's what James did. And especially when he's going to get the likes of, you know, Evan Fournier on him or Kemba Walker, and not to be disrespectful to those guys, but they're just not good defenders. And against, you know, good NBA players, they'll struggle to defend. Against an elite player like James Harden, he's just going to constantly get to line on them. Definitely. Yeah, I... I... To be a, a poorish game from James Harden to still have the impact that he did and to still put up the numbers that he did, I still think that his importance uh, and, and his facilitating and his control of the game uh, allows so many openings for so many of the other players. And I think that includes Kyrie Irving. And a reason yep. why Kyrie was so great tonight was because James was able to find him in spots, get him the ball. Uh, same with KD. I think that you know, th there's just... Uh, a, a rhythm that was probably increased and started to get a bit more engaged come the third and fourth quarters. And I think you, know, you take that momentum heading into to, to game two. I think that we might see some some, some better synergy uh, from the big three as well as just everyone in terms of offensively. Yeah, especially early in the game. You know what I mean? Like we talked about, that's when they really struggled the most offensively. And later in the game, you saw them kind of have some of that cohesion. What was it? In the third quarter, they had the stretch where it was like, uh, Harden hit a three, Kyrie hit a three, and Kevin Durant hit a three. And that was kind of just like, oh, damn. Like, yeah, that's when I think, like, there's a momentum swing mentally for the Celtics. Big time, big time. And, and momentum is everything, you know. The, the Celtics yep. had it early. The Celtics were hitting their shots. And, you know, unfortunately, again, it's, it's just an unsustainable way to just shoot three balls. And that, that's the way a less talented team is going to beat you. Hitting the yep. three ball really well and getting the offensive boards and stuff. And, Nick, that's where one area where I thought the Nets were really, really, really good was on the glass. I thought that they were super duper solid and they outrebounded them 50 to 40. Only lost uh, the, 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 in fact, they outrebounded them on the offensive glass too, 14 to 11, despite Tristan Thompson and Robert Williams doing their thing and uh, the, on the defensive glass, 36 to 29. Um, I thought that was a big, big part of the game and you could see that everyone was out there because you could see like Kai and James going for the same board, Bruce going yep. for the same board. I think that was a big, big reason why the Nets were still able to keep it tight when they weren't necessarily finding the offense that they normally do. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think in the second half, you saw the intensity on the rebounding pickup even a little bit more. And I want to say it was Steve Nash or maybe it was Kevin Durant, someone talking about how, you know, the team rebounding was a huge factor. And like you said, Jack, you saw Kyrie going for a rebound with Bruce Brown, Kevin Durant with whoever it might be. Just a lot of effort on that end of the floor. And that's what the Nets are going to need, especially when they're going to go smaller and play Jeff Green at the five or even Nick Claxton, who's not necessarily the biggest guy. It's going to have to be a lot of effort from everybody. So that's a really positive sign for a Celtics team that I think was pretty good in the offensive rebounding category this regular season. Some of my pregame scouting, Nick, it, uh, yep. you know, maybe they, maybe Steve Nash was listening to the Brooklyn Buzz. He clearly subscribes to the show, as well as all shows on the OTG and, and, and Blue Wire Network. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but, but yeah, in saying that, you know, I think they're third in offensive rebounding. The Nets, I mentioned uh, on the buzz as well when we're doing the, the playoff preview, they're like fourth, I think, in defensive rebounding. So yeah. that's an area where they have a stronghold. So uh, if they can maintain that and you know keep it level pegging enough with the offensive boards and not let Tristan Thompson do his sort of thing, and at least, you know, the, the times where Joe Harris did fail him and other guys did fail him, Tristan Thompson missed a lot of free throws too. So yep. it's always better to do that. Yeah, especially a guy like that. You know, there's guys on this team that aren't great free throw shooters. Tristan Thompson, Robert Williams, you know, even Marcus Martin, not necessarily a great free throw shooter. So it's like if there's opportunities when you can put a guy in a lesser position, do it. You know, especially if you have the foul to give. And I didn't feel like really any Nets got into foul trouble. There was a couple times where I felt like maybe the Celtics got in the bonus a little bit early, but still overall, you know, solid game in that department. Big time. What, what else did you want to touch on, Nick? No, um, I guess we could kind of talk. We mentioned Blake Griffin offensively didn't have much of an impact. Celtics really targeted him. You know, I think some of it was conditioning, just literally having to defend what felt like every single possession got to Blake a little bit. And obviously he's going to struggle against some of the elite offensive players out there. So it'll be interesting to see what his role is like moving forward in the series. Yeah, every the, the Celtics had, you know, Jabari Parker as their sort of, you know, go-to guy that they were trying to call Tristan Thompson uh, as well when they when he was called in isolation. It was just like a battle. <laughs> it was just yeah. a one-on-one get the get the switches battle. And we sort of mentioned that as well in, in the previous. It's like, who can you attack? And, you know, the Nets have more avenues to attack, you know. It's just about can the, the Nets do enough as a team to support Blake and, you know, maybe... Yep. Uh, I, I don't know. I think that it'll be interesting to see how Blake's presence and Blake's impact is going forward in this series because, you know, the Nets, you know, front court depth, you know, you, you got Clash and you got Jeff as well, but against teams like, you know, the, the Sixers and the Bucks, you know, Blake's probably going to be a little bit more important. So you want to get some conditioning into him. You want to continue to see him get a, a couple of good reps here and there. There was one possession on Jason Tatum I was really, really impressed uh, uh, by him in, but you know, for the majority of the part, you know, he didn't take a shot tonight either, despite having, you know, he did have four dimes, he did have a couple of steals too. So, you know, I think it's interesting because, you know, he's had such a burden from uh, in Detroit and such as well. And, you know, his, his role has been pretty steady for the latter points of this season. But, you know, playoff basketball in this intensity now, uh, it's completely different from what he was doing and what his role was in Detroit. Yeah, and even, you know, what his role has been this season in terms of just the amount of involvement he had in the game. You know, there's a big difference between a dribble handoff and getting attacked by Jason Tatum 10 possessions in a row. You know what I mean? Like, it's just putting a lot more on your body. And like you said, there was a couple defensive possessions where he wasn't bad. It's just like he just can't do it consistently every single play, especially considering the Nets don't necessarily have great bones defensively it's not like we're talking about a ton of elite defenders behind him who can kind of clean up for some of his mistakes so that's definitely something to kind of look at moving forward but you made a great point jack i think in a bucks and Sixers series it, they just play different styles of basketball where the celtics you know are kind of forced to play this way given some of their injuries and the roster they have and obviously where their kind of skills and strengths uh sit definitely so yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see how blake's you know role does fluctuate or you know the impact for him you know in game two because you know I, I think that his importance is going to increase as the the playoffs do go on and he's still going to be an important part of, of this nine-man rotation and we sort of saw that you know I can't necessarily see the can you see the rotation changing much Nick you know we did hear many rumblings we didn't necessarily touch it on the the preview because we didn't have the time of you know DJ sort of matching up with Tristan Thompson if he does get going on the glass a little bit is that probably the only thing you can, caught, you can sort of see happening maybe a Tyler Johnson for a Landry Shamit if that three ball doesn't fall for him what are your thoughts yeah, I think, you know, the Tyler Johnson for Landry Shamit might be more likely if Shamit were to struggle, but I didn't think Shamit was, you know, terrible. Maybe he'll just try to get going a little bit more in the next game, which is kind of like 
a non-impact game for Landry Shamit. And honestly, you know, the Celtics look to attack him a couple times defensively. I think Jabari Parker would add him. So maybe Tyler Johnson, I wouldn't be surprised. Or to be honest, like, no disrespect to Landry Shamit, his minutes could just get removed from the rotation. Like, you can find 13 minutes to distribute to James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Bruce Brown, and Joe Harris. You know what I mean? That's not out of the realm of possibility. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Shamit. But honestly, Shamit's the type of player that maybe going to next game, he might be 4-4 four four from 3 and have 12 points and change the game. Like, he's just that type of guy where he could just pop off. Yeah, it's all about, you know, impact. And you're not necessarily expecting... You know, consistency from the the role players because they're gonna their roles are going to fluctuate. It's just like when you're out there, what can you give us? Can you give us a spark? All we all we need yeah. is a little, not even a spark. We need a little bit of a flicker every now and then for you know when we want some shots to fall or some some blocks to happen or or just little energy hustle plays like you might get from Bruce a little bit. And I thought Bruce gave us a, a little bit of that tonight. You know, he was still plus. Uh, positive in the plus minus and I still think that his rebounding was was really really solid um, and and him playing as a, a center-ish sort of role and you know uh, next to James Harden and I thought their minutes were aligned pretty much perfectly you know it, it wasn't the the best Bruce Brown game but it wasn't the worst either yeah it really wasn't I mean it just was like a solid game from him you know defensively I thought he had some good plays really getting into the Celtics players you mentioned the rebounds probably had a could have had a couple assists. I thought he made a couple of nice passes on the short roll. Guys just didn't hit their shots, which was the case a lot in that first half. But, you know, solid game from Bruce, and this is what you're going to get from him. That'll be okay. Obviously, you'd like for him to hit maybe a shot or two more, maybe add another steal or block in there. But, you know, overall solid for Bruce. But, Jack, I want to get back to DeAndre. I think the reason that we probably won't see DeAndre, because if you do play him, it forces you to switch your defensive scheme. You know what I mean? You pretty much have to go to drop coverage. If you go to that switch style, they're probably just going to exploit him worse than they were trying to exploit Blake Griffin. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time when we have seen DJ this season, it's been like, you know, everyone else switches but DJ. So, like, yeah. there, there's ways to sort of incorporate it a little bit, but yeah, you don't want to change the whole thing for one player. like unless And you don't want to give Jason Tatum easy pull-up jumpers either. No, no. And and that's the reason why the, the Nets did look so good tonight was because, you know, the Nets, the, their style of defense forced... Tatum into tough shots, forced Kemba into tough shots. And, you know, those guys are tough shot makers, uh, especially Tatum a lot of the time. And early on, you know, he was probably the best player out on the court in the first half. And then, you know, Kemba Durant, Kemba, uh, Kyrie Irving it came out and, and started to do their thing a little bit more. So, yeah, I think that keeping things individually the way they are and collectively the way they are uh, just benefits the, the net success on both ends of the floor, no doubt. Yeah, and Jack, I think we touched on everybody. I mean, looking forward to game two, I guess, or looking forward deeper into the series, do you think this would be the worst game the Nets play offensively? Probably. I think a lot of it is just shot making, Nick. And you know, if, 23% if we're, from three. Yeah, that's not going to happen. And, you know, 42% from the field. And, and look, they had the same amount of shots, which is which is weird. Normally weird. the Nets have like 60 shots and the other team has 80 shots and they shoot like 61% from the field. So I think that they will be better. Uh, I think that this was a fluky uh, in terms of what we sort of saw tonight. Uh, a, a lot of it is probably, you know, the game one jitters uh, that you sort of see happen. We chatted a little bit on the, the Twitter spaces um, that we did before the game or what was going to happen in that first quarter. You know, I was more confident that being sort of engaged and, but I think this time around, you're going to see just like a, a greater steadiness because, you know, Kevin yeah. Rand alluded to that self-awareness in the post game that I sort of touched on a little bit earlier. You know, you would like to think, but Nick, it's a, it's a four-quarter game. And, and I, yeah. I think that the Nets need to start producing these four-quarter games um, sooner rather than later because you're going to need to against teams that are, are much healthier because if you had Jalen Brown in this game, you know, I think that in this season too, uh, this series, sorry, this, this series too. It'd be a much more competitive. But uh, overall, just focusing back on the, on the net side of things, you clean up the things that were going on in the first half, get a bit more ball movement going, get the, get some sets in, in initiated, um, try not to necessarily get bogged down into isolation play. Then look, and, and that is good play because like I alluded to, the Nets are like top three, top four in, in every single style of offense. You know, be yep. it isolation, dribble handoffs, or whatever it is. But I think it just bodes better for the team overall, the the collective, and just and the, the role players, yeah, the role players, and 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 just giving everyone else engaged because we know that you know Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden can get their own shots and can score in their sleep. But you know we want to make sure that the collective and and everything else is just moving and in the right direction and and just the style. 
I think the, de- the defensive style was solid. The offensive style had its moments, but uh, it can improve. And you don't, you don't necessarily have to be perfect just yet, uh, but you want to be getting the right things initiated soon. Do you think it was a positive for the Nets to have to deal with a game like this in game one? And, you know, not just for the series, but for the postseason in general, like have, having a stretch in a quarter and even a half where things aren't necessarily going their way and then they kind of bounce back, clean things up, and then pull out the victory? Yeah, good teams win ugly, Nick. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty simple. You know, sometimes you just have to get the W. You bank it yep. and, and you move on to the next one, whether that's in the regular season or in the postseason, you know, first round, second round, whatever it is. All that matters is the win. You know, you can do all the, the things behind the scenes. And I think that that's the, uh, a good thing now is that, you know, we don't have a back-to-back. We don't have to deal with any of those things now. You get yep. some rest. You get a little bit of practice time. You sleep in your own bed before game two. You watch a little bit of tape with the coaches and go, okay, this is what we can do more here. This is what we can initiate more here. This is where the movement can happen. This is how we can sort of you know, get a bit more flow happening. And I think that that's something that probably will happen. I, I'm pretty confident of it. Yeah, I agree. I think we, based off of you know what we know about this team, the friendships, the communications, the intelligence they have, there's no reason for them not to understand some of the areas where they kind of came up short and had success later in the game. Jack, I guess before we get out of here, what would be one area you want to see the Nets exploit for Boston in the next game that they didn't exploit tonight? Uh, good question, Nick. I think that in the second half, they did a lot of it in terms of just like hunting the mismatch a lot and sort of just attacking yep. it. I think... Just if Kevin Durant has 15 free throws, James Harden has 15 free throws, Kai has 10. That for me is probably going to be even better because I think that that spaces out the floor for the other guys. And Joe Harris might be, you know, four of six or four of eight from three. So I think continuing to to press and attack, maybe not necessarily when Robert Williams is out, Robert Williams is out there, or just showing a, a greater level of physicality. Because I think that this is one of the few teams that the Nets can probably do that with. You know, Tristan Thompson is going to do that on the boards a little bit, but it's not like he's some world beater. He's not Rudy Gobert. Um, yeah. So I think that that's something where the Nets can, can continue to sort of be. And, and that's why they won the rebounding battle, because I thought that their physicality and purpose was pretty good. And that's the reason why they were able to get some easy points. You know, without those free throw numbers, the Nets don't get this win either. So continuing to show that physicality um, and as well, you know, just getting in, getting a bit more ball movement. And, you know, try and get, have an aim to get to the, you know, a 30 assist number. Because I think that once that is happening... That'll open up the offense. That'll open up some different openings for the guys to attack and, and five different openings on, on the perimeter too. So just those sort of little things around the margins. Yeah, I think offensively you nailed it, Jack. I think, you know, just being more active offensively in terms of moving the ball, moving yourself, and including your best players in actions and making sure they touch the basketball and also making sure you're involving Boston's worst defensive players. And we saw that, like you said, happen more in the second half. You saw Kemba Walker get in foul trouble at points. There's no reason multiple Celtic players can't be in foul trouble because literally they just can't defend some of the guys the Nets have. And they can either give up the open shot or foul. And we saw that happen multiple times tonight. And I think, you know, I personally think that the Nets could exploit Robert Williams in certain areas. I think you don't want to allow a guy to get on the floor and have nine blocks. Like, you know, he's being extremely aggressive in that area. You need to kind of get some fouls on him and make him second guess jumping and second guess Brad Stevens wanting to play him. Because I think there's some areas where he's just not fully polished on that end of the floor. Kind of like a young Jared Allen to an extent, like a rookie year. Yeah, and I think Jabari Park continue to yeah. exploit him. If he's going to play 22 minutes, he shouldn't be plus seven. That, that, that was weird. <laughs> it's weird, but look, he, he had his moments. And, yeah. um, you know, he had the, the nice defensive play on, on Kevin Durant. You know, KD, just attack him, man. You don't need to sell for the job. We know you can make it, um, but just attack the dude. You know, he, he's, 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 he's barbecue chicken, man. Yep. What do you think is one area that Boston will look to exploit in game two and what the Nets should be prepared for? Uh, I think it's going to be probably the Blake Griffin presence and, and yep. continued sort of highlighting whoever the, the word. And, and look, they could do the same thing maybe with Joe Harris and try and attack him and um, in certain sort of matches. I think you can probably do it lesser with Joe because I think Joe's a, a little bit more spry, a, a little bit sort of stronger um, in, in certain respects, not necessarily you know just physically, but just overall in terms of his defensive prowess. So I think that that's the only way, and and they're just going to hit the, the continue to hope that they remain as as hot as hell from the perimeter because th- those are the only things that are going to be able to help them, you know, get the W. If you have Claxton, Jeff Green, and and Durant out there for for larger portions of time, it, it's just that there's less defensive matchups for the Nets to exploit to be exploited on. Sorry. 
Yeah, I agree, Jack. I think there's lineups the Nets can play where they feel really confident where maybe they could go after Kyrie Irving, but his on-ball you know, activity has been really good this season. I think the Nets have done a solid job in some of their rotations in this game. I think you know maybe they could clean up some of the you know third or fourth rotations where it's like the first and the second one are good, and then there's maybe something you can clean up on the back end, but that's something that's going to come with more experience and communication. And also shout-out to Jeff Green. He was mic'd up, and he kind of was a guy that felt like he came in kind of help turn up that defensive energy and the communication aspect. But you nailed it again, Jack, in terms of what Boston will probably look to do in this second game. And I, I wouldn't be completely surprised if Brad Stevens has some moments where he goes super small and tries to space out the Nets to get Jason Tatum in more isolation-type situations because I felt like in that second half, the Nets did a good job of giving him the attention of a lot of their defenders. Yeah, it's weird because if the, the Celtics go small, it almost plays into Benefits to the, the Nets, yeah. to the Nets' hands because they want to... They would much rather be having Jeff Green out there for, for larger periods of time. It suits them. So it, it's about, you know, who are you trying to exploit more of the weaknesses of the opposing team? Are you trying to just do what your best version of basketball is? You know, the, the coaching battle is always a fun one when it comes to the postseason. Agreed. And I think, you know, obviously Steven's more experienced and, you know, has had more success as a coach. But Steve Nash just has so many more tools and obviously has more talent. So that kind of help outweighs that battle. But Jack, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? I just want to ask one last question, Nick. Do you think Clax gets more minutes in game two? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, there was a couple of mistakes that he made. Hopefully Steve Nash still allows him to get back out there because I think there's clearly an impact he can have. You know what I mean? With the switching, with what he can do on those slips to the rim and just the energy and effort he can provide and just being that plus defensive player. And to be honest, you know, we talked about this at the end of the regular season. Claxton needs reps. Like he needs to be on the floor because they need him later in the postseason. Maybe it's not against Philadelphia. Maybe it's not against Milwaukee, but it easily could be against the Clippers or the Lakers or whoever ends up in the finals in the Western Conference or it could be an impact in that buck series so honestly i just want to see claxon get those reps get those experience even if there's a couple mistakes out there yeah steve nash is one of the vice presidents of clax city so he's, he's going to make <laughs> sure that you know he's allocating the the right amount of time for our blonde dreadlocked friend yeah agreed jack jack always a pleasure even more of a pleasure when it's a nets playoff win and big thanks everybody for listening and you can find us on all streaming platforms sugar ray leonard roberto duran Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.